The phone rang late in the evening in my New York apartment. It was the night of August the 4th, 1964, a night of grief and anger for all of us in the civil rights movement, but especially those in Mississippi. We've got a crisis on our hands down here, the young man on the line said. We need help. At the start of that fateful summer, hundreds of volunteers, most of them students, many of them white, all of them knowing how dangerous the work would be, had come down from northern universities to register black voters and remind rural blacks of their civil rights. They were fanning out along the front lines of a civil rights war, unarmed in a state of seething segregationists. Mississippi's police stood ready at the slightest pretext to beat them bloody and throw them in jail. The Ku Klux Klan might well do worse. That day, we all learned just how much worse. The bodies of three volunteers, missing since June 21st, had been found in the shallow grave near Philadelphia, Mississippi. Michael Schwerner, James Shaney, and Andrew Goodman, two of them white, one black, had been arrested on an alleged traffic violation, briefly jailed, then allowed to drive off after dark into a KKK ambush. All three had been beaten, then shot. Cheney, the black volunteer, had been tortured and mutilated. I'd help raise a lot of money to launch Mississippi Freedom Summer. I'd call all the top entertainers I knew, Frank Sinatra, Lena Horne, Henry Fondamal, and Brando, Joan Baez, the Kingston Trio, Dick Gregory, and more, to ask that they give money directly or participate in benefit concerts. That money brought a lot of gas and cars, housing and food. But now, more was needed, a lot more. The original plan had called for students to do two-week shifts, then go home and be replaced by others. With the ominous disappearance of Schwerner, Cheney, and Goodman, Every shift had insisted on staying. Now that the bodies had been found, all those volunteers voted to stay, not just through the summer, but into the fall as well. It's good they're staying, explained Jim Foreman, the young man who called me that night. Jim was the de facto head of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC, one of several civil rights groups down there. Because if they leave now, or even at the end of August, the Klan will say it intimidated them into going. The press will play it that way. And if they all stay, we can get thousands of more voters registered. The problem is, we don't have the resources to keep them all here. What do you need, I asked. At least $50,000, he said. I told him I'd get it, one way or the other. How soon do you need it? We're going to burn through the rest of our budget in 72 hours. Before he rang off, Foreman told me one other thing. This could get really ugly, he said quietly. I'm hearing a lot of people say enough is enough. The hell with nonviolence. They're taking up guns. I'm worried they're going to take matters into their own hands. I had to think hard about where the money might come from and how I might get it to Greenwood, Mississippi. I could tap my own savings for the whole $50,000. I'd written a check to SNCC for an amount not much smaller than that in its early days to help establish it and others since then. For me, it was anything goes, but I owed it to my family to keep us financially safe. Paul Robeson, the extraordinary actor, singer, and activist, whose path I tried to follow my whole adult life, had given so much money to social causes that he'd left himself vulnerable to his enemies. 
chief among them, the federal government, a formidable force led by J. Edgar Hoover and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, when he was blacklisted as a communist in the late 1940s. With Senator Joseph McCarthy riding shotgun, the federal government had cowed Carnegie Hall and other American venues into not hiring him, then seized his passport so that he couldn't earn a living performing abroad. Eventually, Paul ran through his savings and slid into a deep place of sadness. I'd never forget that. Somehow I'd have to raise most of this money from others. In two days, maybe three. Then there was the matter of how that money would get to Mississippi. I couldn't just wire it and have a black civil rights activist go to the local Western Union office to ask for his $50,000, please. He'd be dead before he drove a mile away. So would a white college volunteer. As for banks, those fine institutions owned and operated by Mississippi's white power elite? No way. The money would have to be brought down in cash. And unless I could come up with some brighter idea, I'd have to take it down myself.